Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America. I think there's a huge impetus now for a national digital infrastructure. Digitization in, in healthcare is, I think, one of the great game changers. You know, we should be helping countries to develop a national digital infrastructure, which they will need with these new vaccines. And then, you know, finally, it, it, it's, it's also about showing people and showing the political leadership that you can make a positive difference to your healthcare system by adopting these measures because they've got, a, they've got an impact beyond any particular disease and, or, or, or pandemic. You're right, Tony Blair, former prime minister of the United Kingdom. What problem will we have with all medical records being digitized and easily hacked? It's not like they'll be used against us. No, everything's fine. Just trust the system. The system knows best. Yes, the system is good. Praise the system. Give thanks for the system. It gets creepier and creepier by the second. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. So good to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. There's a whole conversation I'm going to get into about medicine and uh, this, this polling where people are like, healthcare in the U.S. is is poor, more than 50%. Clearly, clearly these people have never had healthcare in, I don't know, any other part of the world. But I think there are reasons for that beyond just people's, uh, you know, patheticness and, and, and politicalness. The digitizing conversation is came out of Davos, the World Economic Forum, but I want you to go back because that was top line. Something got slipped underneath there by Tony Blair. I think there's a huge impetus now for a national digital infrastructure. Digitization in, in healthcare is, I think, one of the great game changers. You know, we should be helping countries to develop a national digital infrastructure, which they will need with these new vaccines. Infrastructure, digital vaccines. I take you to China. Uh, well, I'm not actually taking you. Well, but I, I like you too much for that. But it, it destroys me to know that I'll never be able to visit China. I, you know I'm on a list. You know that they would let me into the country, but they wouldn't let me out. You know it. You know, because that's, by the way, the way it works. They'll let you in, but if you want out, well, maybe you can answer a couple questions for us. You know, like trade secret things, uh, things your company is doing, you know. Maybe you just make a quick video apologizing for this. You know, just be, it would really go a long way. It would really go a long way. You know, we just, you know, flight's just waiting for you. So just, just make a little video, just sign a little thing, just do a little thing. Just give us a little answer. That's it. That's China. That's the life of the communist. But in China, you will note that there were protests. You notice you haven't heard much about the protests recently because the law, the lockdowns have been lifted and uh, you now are seeing people die from COVID, only proving that lockdowns don't save you from COVID. Lockdowns don't do anything except destroy lives. Now we had people who starved to death or went, I don't know, crazy. And now you have people dying of COVID as well. If you want to get it wrong, talk to a commie. I swear to you, you could you could put that on a t-shirt. 
just seemed natural that that would flow after it. In China, as people were protesting the lockdowns, it was kind of amazing that their passports, their digital passports they had on their phone to prove that they were okay and didn't have COVID, well, they went from green to yellow or red. Amazing. Shocking that people were protesting and now their phones read that they had COVID so the government would have all the reason in the world to lock them up in isolation, in uh, COVID camps or wherever they could. You really want a digitized healthcare system, you know, for the vaccines? Nothing of what I just said is the dystopian future it's right now happening in front of your face this isn't even i haven't even engaged something that's about political party unless of course you're talking about bernie sanders representative ocasio cortez because they really like the idea of that totalitarianness oh that is super extra sexy you mean you can lock people down and they're not allowed to even leave their house to go get a quart of milk yes 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 count me in How can I be a part of that? You can tell people by drone message that they shouldn't sing, but rather should contain and uh, keep down their yearning to be free? All right, all right, all right. Good Lord, China. What can't you do? Create your own technology? You have to steal everybody else's? That's okay by us, too. Screw you. That's a good joke. That's a good joke. I'm taking that. That's that's what's going to win us the Marconi this year. Someone's got to put that in the promo. That's winning the Marconi. Mark that down. Day and time, people. Day and time. Be freaked. Because when you listen to the joy and the enthusiasm to which Tony Blair speaks about this, excuse me, the, the enthusiasm he has for the conversation. And then, you know, finally, it, it, it's, it's also about showing people and showing the political leadership that you can make a positive difference to your healthcare system by adopting these measures because they've got, a, they've got an impact beyond any particular disease and, or, or, or pandemic. He doesn't think about the control factor at all because the control factor is not a bug. If someone said to him, and you know, if, if you did through the digitizing, showed on everybody's phone that they, you know, hadn't got a vaccine, you could probably keep, you know, a lot of people safe. Oh, oh yeah, that's good too. You mean you're okay with somebody's phone dictating their existence and the way they can travel by whether or not the government decides they've engaged the best course of their own health. The Davos crowd, they really and truly love this because what they really and truly love is a world in which they know what's best for you and you should be nothing more than thankful that they're here to help. This is not the only criminally insane thing to come out of Davos. 
Not by a long shot. I wasn't I wasn't gonna get to everything in in in, in one fell swoop. I can. I can. Like Al Gore, oh gosh, there's so much to Al Gore. There's so much to Al Gore. But this was just, just precious. You know, we uh, tend to emphasize the the bad news, and there is unfortunately a lot of it. But there's a lot of good news as well, and and I just want to cover some of it. In my country, we passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which is primarily a climate uh, act. $369 $369 billion, which will actually be much larger than that because the heavy lifting is done by tax credits that uh, are very long-term, some of them actually open-ended, uh, and the early investments that have already been triggered by it uh, give a, a great deal of reason, uh, many reasons for b- believing it's going to be much larger than $369 billion. So I'm very encouraged by that. The man's encouraged by spending that is going to very aggressively hurt the country because of its increase to inflation. But he admits that we passed an Inflation Reduction Act, which is primarily a climate act. It's, it's like we said the other day, they're not, they're not even shy. They're proud of the misdirection. They're totally fine with lying their ass off to you. They think it's super groovy. If it's supposed to be a climate act, why would you call it the Inflation Reduction Act? You called it the Inflation Reduction Act because you wanted to lie to Americans about what it was you were doing. Because to the ideologue, to the environmental cultist, We're not talking about somebody who's into conservation, somebody who wants to actually protect the planet, somebody who likes the clean water and the clean air. Rational things. I'm one of those people. These people are freaking cultists. And they're okay with lying to you to move their agenda forward. I mean, they're just, they're just, you know, there's the expression of saying the quiet part out loud. You know that that whole conversation? Well, they're saying it out loud and they are singing it from the mountaintops. Proud of it. Proud of it. Oh, I've got so much more on Davos. I've got more on Davos, but I got to take it down to the border. That's coming up next. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. We're executing a comprehensive strategy to secure our borders and build a safe, orderly and humane immigration system, working within a broken system in desperate need of legislative reform. Two weeks ago, we announced new lawful pathways for non-citizens seeking relief in the United States, accompanied by a consequence regime for those who do not avail themselves of those processes. Since then, encounters from the targeted countries have dropped significantly. FEMA is providing emergency food and shelter program funds to help cities around the country recover or defray the costs of non-citizen arrivals. That's Alejandro Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary, who wants you to know that they are executing a comprehensive strategy to secure our borders because, well, that Trump administration just ruined everything. 
And while they are executing this strategy, fentanyl deaths of children under 14 are surging. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833-GOT-TONY-833-468-8669. I don't know how much longer people are willing to accept Mayorkas lying to your face, Kamala Harris lying to your face, Joe Biden lying to your face on this subject. Once again, a subject that shouldn't be partisan. Do we believe in a border or not? Now, there are those who don't believe in borders. They don't believe it. The border is, of course, the enemy. The border is the problem because no person is illegal. No person is illegal. The actions they commit could very well be illegal. And they have to deal with the ramifications of those actions. And coming into a country illegally is indeed one of those actions. Our border has an incredible fentanyl problem. The Cato Institute had put out some study that showed that the vast uh, amount of uh, fentanyl coming into the country are Americans bringing it back from Mexico. Yet so much of the fentanyl coming into the country is coming from China. And cartels fight over fentanyl, which would tell me it's not all coming in by Americans who just want to, like, get super high and ride the snake and getting close to death. That was an old Saturday Night Live routine. Jim Carrey, before he went political terrible and just angry, bitter uh, above it all. And I get it. There comes a moment where you're like, you know what, everybody's ridiculous, this is all ridiculous, I don't want to be um, any part of this. Everyone's crazy, it's, I've made my money, don't you realize you're just, you're just mice in the maze, that's all you are. Fine, sure, terrific, man, but could you not be such a jerk about it? It'd be, it'd be super helpful if you could be less of a jerk about it. Turns out you're a pretty good artist, Could you be less of a jerk about it? That would be great. Thank you. But yes, we've got cartels pushing fentanyl. If fentanyl was only a conversation about upper middle class white people wanting to get a super special kind of high, why would the fentanyl now look like children's candy? So we understand that it isn't, as Cato put it, in in Toto. There are many other pieces to this. Two milligrams of fentanyl. Interesting uh, piece from NewsNation, NewsNationNow.com. As they put it, which is the size of a mosquito, is enough to kill you. More than 100,000 people died of a drug overdose in 2021. 65,000 of those deaths, fentanyl. Americans 25 to 44 accounted for over half of the total number of fentanyl deaths in 2021. Fentanyl poisoning, poisoning, the leading cause of death among Americans 18 to 45 in 2021. Americans ages 35 to 44 are more likely to die from fentanyl poisoning than any other 10-year age group. And 
it's just freaky because it can be kind of anywhere and just, you know, you don't even know. We, as a nation, should at least be in agreement that the fentanyl has to stop. And if the only way to stop the fentanyl is to shut down the border, we shut down the border. If the only way to stop the fentanyl is to fire at will, so be it. Well, Tony, what about the people bringing it over illegally? Well, those people you can send to jail for 372 years if you want. But I got to take care of the other part first. We haven't asked ourselves as a society, what is it that we really want to do to engage the safety? What lengths are we willing to go? Why is it as a society that we have accepted the idea, we have allowed the acceptance of the idea that the cartel exists and there's nothing we can do? Why in the world... Would we accept this when there are clearly many things we can do considering all the tanks and bullets we have? And I know what you're saying. Dear Lord, Tony, you are getting some violent. Fentanyl is killing kids. Infant fentanyl deaths increased twice as fast between 2019 and 2021. Fentanyl deaths among toddlers between the ages of 1 and 4 more than tripled. Deaths among children between the ages of 5 and 14 nearly quadrupled. I'm sorry, are we having a problem? I'm out of line? I got kids dying in numbers that would stagger the mind. All I'm saying is, let's close the border and let's make sure the cartels know not to mess with us. Well, Tony, how do you go after a cartel? Well, I, I, first, I, I think you make it Mexico's problem. And secondly, you have to accept the fact that Mexico's going to do nothing about it. That could very well be a, a declaration of war. And number three, if you just have to, go do. But in order to do, you would need an administration that believes there's something worth doing. This administration doesn't. Instead, we get Secretary Mayorkas telling you that they're executing a plan. We're executing a comprehensive strategy to secure our borders and build a safe, orderly, and humane immigration system, working within a broken system in desperate need of legislative reform two weeks ago. I'm not saying that we don't need legislative reform. I am saying that we have two issues at play. How we want to ensure legal immigration continues and our country grows. And how we ensure that cartels know they ain't welcome. And there's more of us than there are of them. And we actually do have better weapons. Here, let us show you. I guess I'm the only one willing to fight for these kids' lives. What is the future of the economy in 2023? Dr. Matt Will breaks it down. This is Tony Katz today. So I was taking a look at the markets earlier, and I was watching, wondering what to expect, because we saw this this weird one-two punch yesterday. 
Actually, yesterday, the day before, we saw this producer price index number, the PPI, as opposed to the CPI, consumer price index. And we saw this and we're like, oh, it's down half percent. That's so great. But then we saw that retail sales weren't what people were expecting and the market has just been responding. I mean, when I when I last looked, the market was down over 200. NASDAQ was down over 100. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Find everything, TonyKatz.Locals.com. And I, I totally get and I absolutely accept that what the markets do are very different than what Midwest Main Street does. What we're experiencing is, is far different than what Wall Street experiences. What we're experiencing with, with supply chain, with, with lack of goods on the shelves, still to this day, the price of those goods, we're dealing in it. And then there's this whole conversation we've been having about, I'm convinced we're in a recession. This is what I see day in and day out. My eyes are pretty good. Man, people don't act like it. They don't act like it. But somewhere it's got to be happening. Somewhere... It is happening. There are sectors and areas where clearly the squeeze is being felt. In our lives, the squeeze is being felt. But yet we see still shopping and still going out. But we see that anecdotally when the data is showing people aren't shopping as much, or at least they weren't for the holiday season. So what is it that's in these reports, what to make of it. Uh, Dr. Matt Will joins us, economist, University of Indianapolis, D-R-M-A-T-T-W-I-L-L. That's where you find him on the Twitter box, Dr. Matt Will. What am I supposed to take from this PPI report? Uh, Is the sky falling or is everything just terrific? (laughs) Tony, the report told me that energy saved Biden's butt because energy dropped 7.9%. If it were for energy, things went up. So let's, let's just keep it, this in perspective. The only reason that the, C, the PPI is down is because of energy. We have a glut of energy coming into the market. And, and again, President Biden needs to go and send a thank you card to all the big oil that he was yelling about for the last few months. Because they can't turn on a dime, Tony, but they have recovered the energy market. They're producing at higher levels. February, big oil. Big oil, the evil big oil, will produce in higher levels of shale oil and natural gas than in any month in history next month. And President Biden needs to send them a thank you card and say, I appreciate what you're doing to bring down the cost of energy. When I take a look at the number, the energy number for December of 2022, down 7.9%. Now, that's not the biggest drop that has taken place over the year. I go back to July, down 9.1%. It crept up a little bit in September, October, back down. This is all, if if the Putin price hike, if the, the war in Ukraine was sending energy prices up, what exactly, when you talk about production, how did we get to a more production situation to bring prices down this well? Well, there's two things, Tony. One is, we talked about it before. It was, it's a, it's a liquid it's literally a, a liquid kind of asset. And so it just took some time for Putin to figure out how to sell it to India and China and get around us. So that was one thing. And I told you, we remember on this show, we talked about the fact he will get around it. It's going to take him a few months. And now he's gotten around the rules. So that's one thing. The second thing is energy um, demand is down. And, and Tony, I want to get into that. I want to get off the PPI specifically and get into the underlying market conditions as to why, given this good report in quotes, the market dropped 600 points yesterday. And why the market dropped 180 points to open today? 
That's the big story, Tony, because shouldn't a lower PPI cause the market to go through the roof and everyone to be happy and singing and dancing? Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis, D-R-M-A-T-T-W-I-L-L, Dr. Matt Will on the Twitter box. You would think, you would think that there was a lot of dancing, So, but there isn't. We take a look at, you talk about energy being down. Now talk about what was up that causes people like yourself, economists like yourself, consternation. Well, let's, let's talk about what was up, what wasn't up. Retail sales were not up. And I want to get into Davos for just a minute. That may put people to sleep. But, oh, but there's, I've been doing we, a lot of Davos being, talk. Matt, there is more anti-capitalism talk going on in Davos than there is in most colleges. But you're correct, Tony. But what's interesting about it is the left-leaning elites of the world are lecturing Biden. He's lecturing. He got lectured. His chief economist on the panel that I was watching was being lectured for the Inflation Reduction Act that it's too much spending. Tony, liberal, left-leaning, socialist governments are lecturing Biden on spending too much money. Is this an upside-down world? That tells you how bad it is. But the retail is the story, Tony. In December, in Christmas season, when things are supposed to be growing and we're supposed to be spending more, retail sales were down 1.1%. Down. Department stores were down 6%. Online sales down 1%. Procter & Gamble, the biggest retailer in the country, Tony, had sales volumes drop 6% when they're supposed to be booming. That's the real story, and that's why the market took a tank yesterday. So the market does what it does, and sometimes it reacts uh, well to news, and as you've described it many times here, uh, it's it's a drug for, for the markets. They get any little bit of good news, they mainline it, and the next thing you know, they're pretending like uh, nothing has ever been wrong. But when we take a look at this PPI, we take a look at this producer price index, this is for you an indicator that things are wrong. What does this tell you about the next six months and the next year in terms of that inflation rate? We already know the Fed has stated they're going to keep rates high and increases will happen well into the future. Has this report, do you think that changes the Fed's outlook? No. No, and the reason is, Tony, because the Fed looks long-term and the news media looks short-term. The news media looks, well, the president passed the Inflation Reduction Act. Well, Tony, remember, that money hasn't been spent yet. The biggest, you know, the biggest problem, again, Tony, people will forget this and it'll put them to sleep. Remember the infrastructure bill that was passed, that multi $1.9 trillion bill? The money hasn't been spent yet because Mayor Pete, and we all know Mayor Pete is above his head in his job, he hasn't spent it yet. He's beginning to spend the money from that. That's going to cause more inflation. The market is nervous about inflation still. Jamie Dimon, the, the poster child for big banks and the financial infrastructure, he said in an interview yesterday, he believes inflation isn't over because of the spending of the U.S. government. Mayor Pete is going to spend that money, Tony, and he's going to cause inflation. Thank you, Mayor Pete. Thank you, President Biden. This is money that's still going to be spent, and it's still going to be fighting Powell's attempt to keep inflation under control. Go back to Jamie Dimon, uh, the head of J.P. Morgan Chase, because he, in two different interviews, talked about rates heading back over 5% and then rates being over 6%. And in the conversation about 5%, he was very doom and gloom, and somehow 6% will all be okay. 
Uh, now, maybe I read these things wrong. Maybe they were reported wrong. Maybe it was part of a larger conversation and it all got muddied up. I see the possibility of 6% because when we take a look at the federal funds rate, the rate that banks charge each other uh, to borrow money, we can easily see that with the future interest rate increases from the Federal Reserve, from Jerome Powell, the chairman, uh, getting into the 5%. What happens if we do get into a federal funds rate of 6%? How does that affect us on Midwest Main Street? Oh, Tony, it's the, the R word. I mean, recession may already be here, and that's just going to make it more pronounced. But, Tony, it's necessary. It's this battle that we have between Powell and Biden. Is We need inflation lower, and Powell is doing his best to get it lower. But he keeps fighting up against Biden against Mayor Pete against every all the spending going on in this administration and Jamie Dimon's trying to be out of politics, but he's having a tough time doing it because Jamie Dimon's not good as as biting his tongue. He speaks what he thinks and and he sees the need for Powell to kill inflation. He sees the need for the Fed funds rate to go up, and guess what, Tony? That leads to a recession. Jamie Dimon doesn't want a recession, but he predicted it. We all saw it. We've all seen the clips. He predicted in a recession. You talk about the fight between Jerome Powell and the president, Joe Biden. This was Joe Biden just the other day, just earlier this week, talking about Republicans and the deficit. You know, they're, talking, they're going to talk about big spending Democrats again. Guess what? I reduced the deficit last year, $350 billion. And this year... Federal deficit is down $1 trillion plus dollars. Hear me. That's a fact. And there's going to be hundreds of billions reduced over the next decade. But so what? These guys are the <laughs> fiscally, you know, they're fiscally demented, I think. They don't, they don't quite get it. Joe Biden reducing deficits by a trillion dollars? We, we're supposed to think that this is uh, the facts as he's discussing them? <laughs> Tony, he took it up to $2.6 trillion. Tony, he took the deficit up to $2.6 trillion in his first year. He spent money like crazy because he had Congress on his side. Tony, yeah, I'll, I'll agree. On paper, it looks like he might drop the deficit to $1.4 trillion, by $1.4 trillion, to $1.4 trillion, Tony, but it was a two point six. Does, does anyone in this room believe that that's cutting the deficit? Let's just jack the number up as high as we can, and then we'll cut it a little and pretend like we reduced it. You know, when the they say they've, they've, they've the created jobs, well, let, me, let me just finish there. When they say they've created jobs, but we still don't have the job numbers back to pre-COVID levels, it seems to be that same conversation. Yes, Tony, we're $5 million short. We're $5 million, $5 million jobs short of where we should be. People keep saying there's a job shortage, and there is if you're trying to hire someone. But, Tony... The government is paying, still paying you not to work. California is still paying you not to work. They're still covering your rent. So don't tell me that we have this great job picture. Employers are short jobs, and there's $5 million below where we were if we were not in the Biden economy right now. And, Tony, this deficit thing, i got to tell you, the $21 billion deficit we had just in December, just in De- I'm sorry, $85 billion in December, it was $21 billion the previous December. So don't tell me that. He's lying when he says that because of the way he's manipulating the numbers. And yes, I could get in trouble for saying the president's lying, but I can show you on CNN, they even reported the bigger budget deficit in December.
Before I let you go, you brought up uh, the R word, recession. And I have now had this conversation on air, and I've had this conversation with a couple of people, and it's funny that people believe we are in a recession right now. They believe it based on on what they're hearing and, and what they're seeing. But you know what they also see? People are shopping, restaurants are full, and we hear about retail being down, but our eyes see something completely different. Is there a is it possible to have a recession and nobody notices? <laughs> um, Tony, you're just looking at different segments. There's, I, it's hard to explain, but there's a very disjointed economy right now. People are spending money on travel, and the price of travel is going through the roof if you try to buy an airplane ticket. Yet the price of gasoline is dropping because people aren't driving and because they're heading into a recession. And the price of natural gas is going up. Yet at the same time, the price of natural gas in Europe is going down because of the, the, the weather. So, Tony, there's a lot of things that influence it, and the government getting in the middle makes it more confusing. Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis, D-R-M-A-T-T-W-I-L-L. Dr. Matt Will on Twitter. Always a pleasure, sir. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Once again, it's Project Veritas to the rescue. I'm a fan of Project Veritas. What James O'Keefe is doing is still miraculously important work. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today, and I will tell you, because I never lie, full disclosure, I have donated to Project Veritas before. I have no other financial relationship with them, but what James O'Keefe and Project Veritas does, the conversations that they have, the stories that they uncover, proving that everything you have believed is clearly accurate. All right, maybe some things you didn't know the depths of. But when you think, you know, hey, why do they keep saying that they don't teach critical race theory in school? It's very obvious that they teach critical race theory in school. What is this argument? Well, it's not critical race theory because that's only in colleges. (laughs) We know what it is that we're seeing within education everywhere. Well, it's James O'Keefe and Project Veritas that uncovered a, a guy by the name of Quinton Bostick. He's with a group called the Teaching Lab. And if you don't know anything about the Teaching Lab, don't worry. I didn't know that much about them. Teaching Lab's open enrollment initiative provides high-impact and equity-driven professional learning that centers the work teachers do every day. Anytime you see equity, equity-driven professional learning, and it centers the work that teachers do, I mean, this should be playing in the background. It doesn't mean education. It means indoctrination. That's what it means. Well, this guy, Dr. Quentin Bostick, PhD, he's the content manager for the teaching lab. And he is admitting that if you don't say the words critical race theory, you could technically teach it. And that you frame the curriculum as DEI because it's more accepted than anti-racist education or critical race theory. How long have we been discussing that DEI is, of course, bigotry? That equity means doing whatever you need to do to ensure equal outcomes. I don't want equal outcomes. Equal outcomes is a horrific society. 
We saw this uh, talking about uh, that, that education in Virginia, right, where they didn't let the students know that they were national merit scholars. Why? Because some students weren't national merit scholars and it would make them feel bad. So you didn't tell the students who had earned it so they couldn't get a leg up on the competition, let's say, going to college. That's equity. Ends justify the means. And in this case, you didn't inform students of what they earned. You pushed everybody down and you created equality and you called it then equity. Equity and equality being two different things. But in this case, here's how it played out. Of course, this stuff is happening. Of course, this stuff keeps happening. And when you notice as a parent or as a concerned citizen, whatever it is, they call you domestic terrorist, they call you a bigot, and they tell you that you hate teachers, they tell you you hate children, you hate students, you're not qualified because you're not educated like they are, you're qualified. You know right and wrong. And what's happening in many schools is wrong. What's happening with this group, the teaching lab, is wrong. Keep an eye on what your kids and other kids are being taught. And stand up when it's simple bigotry, like DEI, anti-racist education, or critical race theory. I said it. I meant it. I'll defend it. Much more to get to, guys. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz.